0: Man, you guys have me covering a lot of classics this year, don't you? (laughs) Uh, Welcome to classic... uh, Five five months? Something like that? God, almost half the year is going to be classics, (sighs) quote-unquote. So, is this a good film? No, it's the worst film ever made. Okay, now that we've weeded out the people who are upset about me saying that, let me go ahead and say that I was a little confused by how good this film was. Note that I don't say how popular or how successful. Because this is actually a good film. It took me a while to really understand it. And I'm going to try and lead you through it with me in the journey here. Um, The the behind-the-scenes stuff is actually kind of fascinating. And this is one of those luck films. I've talked about that a bit this year. Some films have all the pieces in place, and it's poetry. And some films have none of the pieces in place, and by sheer amazingness we get this. The film we'll be looking at in a couple weeks here is an example of this as well. The latter category, where things are just, uh but somehow it works out. You know, one of those things. Check this out. This film had a budget of about $5.4 million. It made about 117. million. Yeah, it also got Best Picture, if you care about the Academy Awards, which admittedly I don't. But it just does go to show how widespread the phenomenon of this film was. It was also effectively the career maker for Stallone. But I'll talk more about that in a minute. I've heard conflicting reports about what inspired this. I was going to reference Webner vs. Ali. Ali? Because that was a fight. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm actually not sure if it's up on YouTube. But look at it: W E P N E R versus Muhammad Ali. It's it's a hell of a fight to watch. He did watch that fight, and very shortly after that, he did in fact write this script. However, Stallone has gone on record saying he was not inspired by that fight. So, i I, don't know. I do know something else he was inspired by. But we'll get to that in a minute. This is also, I mentioned lucked out. Stallone was really struggling at this point. How struggling? He didn't really have much going for him. Didn't have a car. Had a couple hundred bucks, you know. A dog. And that's about all he had going for him. I I would argue that the biggest role he had prior to this was being one of the random other racers in Death Race 2000. Bonus points. How many of you even know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen that film in years. Anywho, Garrett Brown, just just prior to the making of this film, came up with this brand new idea, this incredible tech uh, called Steadicam. Now, I was going to go ahead and discuss it to you, but if I'm being 100% honest, I don't actually fully understand how it works. I know what it does. What it does is it allows a person to act like a dolly. So, prior to this, you had two types of shots. Really. Every every type of camera shot could be boiled down to one of two types of shots. Three. Okay, three. So, the third type is static. Okay, there you go. It's it's just there. Um, the, the second type, I, I suppose I'd say two types of moving shots. There we go. Now my statement's correct. Two types of moving shots. You either had a person carrying it, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but cameras are big and heavy. Have you ever held one of the old film cameras? Ooh. So that's option number one, and that's usually why a lot of films kind of look like this when they're going around, because someone's just there's only so much you could do. The second thing is they put it on a, a dolly, a, a device, a stand? Let's call it a stand, which has a track which you've already laid out for it, and it's on wheels, and you run it on the dolly, so it looks really smooth, but you're limited by where the tracks go and obviously you have to be you know, with it as you're going through, and there's other issues associated with that. It really limits what kind of moving shots you can do. To do a shot like, for example, following someone down a set of stairs without having the... <laughs> was unheard of. I do know a few things. It uh, adds weight to it, and it gives a counterbalance, which also moves its center of gravity lower. Basically, while you still can have shaky with the Steadicam. It's it's a completely different type. It looks far far smoother, and you can again you can do shots that were otherwise unavailable. Now, this is actually the third film to do that. Uh, Bound for Glory was the first, and Marathon Man, which I've actually seen, was the second. This is the third one to adopt this, and I point that out because it allowed them a huge amount of uh, freedom in how they did a lot of their shots. In fact, Mr. Garrett Brown was actually the cameraman on several shots, most notably during the final fight in this very film. So, that was lucky. They also managed to get Carl Weathers in, and Burgess Meredith. I think both of those were really good moves. Carl Weathers is probably not very well known. He was in Close Encounters, he was in Predator, he was in Toy Story 4, he's in The Mandalorian. I use that with present tense. I don't even know if season two of Mandalorian is going to be out by the time this video goes live. Because that's uh, over a year from now. At the point where I'm at right now. But either way, it's he's good. I actually like him a, a weirdly large amount. He does good stuff. He's not like my favorite actor, but he's pretty consistent. And of course, Burgess Meredith. While he's been in half of the films in the known universe, I will always remember him most fondly from the Twilight Zone. He's good. He can do character moments Really well. So, boxing. Funnily enough, the film starts off with a boxing match, and then, and then ends with a boxing match. I only point this out because I know of someone personally who walked in expecting, you know, a, a, a an action movie, effectively, and what they got was a heavily dra- dramatic character piece, which happens to be bookended by two fights. Now, I like that. Although, a third fight wouldn't go amiss, but future Rocky films will kind of play with this. This is also a good time to mention, by the way. I've heard good things about the Creed series, and it's Michael B. Jordan, and I'm a fan of his, so... Anybody who watched those? I haven't. I'm just curious if the Creeds are any good. I hear they're working on a potential for a Creed 3, again, as of filming, so this is going to be a year ago. Anywho. Boxing. I've actually always been into boxing. Insert Punch-Out reference here. But no, seriously, Punch-Out kind of got me interested in boxing. And I was interested, I I was trying to do what I always do. Find out about everything. Because I'm interested in basically everything. Except for anime and horror. Those are like the two big exceptions. Unless it's Ruby, So, I just was like, alright, well let's check this sport out. And it looked like a lot of fun. And it looked interesting, and the footwork, and the rules, and the operation of it. And of course, I've always been kind of an upper body person. My legs are uh, not great. I mean, they're well-toned. I don't have an ounce of fat on my legs. But that's not the point. My left leg barely functions, thanks to the accident. And I've never exactly been good about, you know, running or jogging or anything like that. You know, I could jump. That's I could, past tense jump. That's about it. So the idea of focusing more on the upper body appealed to me. Now, I have since learned that that's not really how boxing is. There's a lot more to it, obviously. And there's variants, and there's kickboxing, and there's different types of gloves you can use. As with everything, there's tons and tons of stuff. But I did get into it, and it was engaging. What's really funny to me is it looks like they actually did their homework on this with regards to the fights. There's a lot of actual boxing going on. Now, the shots are whiffed. You can actually see, it's especially tr- apparent on, you know, a big ol' uh, Blu-ray because you can actually watch the glove come and, you know, I'll try to do it this way, just kind of like go like this and you feel the wind going by but nothing's actually happening there. But they do a good job of it. I'm not going to make fun of the fact that they're not actually bunching each other. But I point this out because uh, Weathers and Stallone both actually did practice and train and pretty much did their own stunts. They had to. You remember that budget thing I mentioned earlier? Stallone was. So Stallone wrote this, which always weirds me out when I think about that, but now that I've watched the film, it makes much more sense. Now that I've analyzed the film, let me state that more clearly, because I have seen this film before. Um, but he, uh, he wrote this, and he pushed it, and he insisted on being the guy to play Rocky which caused some issues, and a bit of a snafu. They apparently greenlit this while thinking that Stallone was a different guy, and then they found out and they were upset, which is funny because this became one of the smash hits of the century. So, you know, yay luck, like I mentioned, which is really, really appropriate in hindsight, isn't it? I'm just going to go jump into this. This is Stallone's movie. More than any other film he's ever done, this is Stallone. He, God, he fights. He's got a crap apartment. He goes to the docks and he, he beats up. He's a collector for a loan shark. And he tries to pull tricks in order to get some kind of money. He's, he's got nothing going for him. His, his place is dilapidated and he's, it, it's the size of, it's, his apartment is literally the size of this studio plus that bathroom and that's it. I've lived in places like that. I've lived in places worse than that. Building to a point here. He, uh, he was frustrated. He was pissed. He was aggravated. And He himself has said, no one's going to buy a film you know, about someone who's upset about being a failed a- actor. There needs to be something else. So he switched acting to boxing. But what's interesting is he didn't just do that casually. Like I said, Stallone did his research and studied a lot of actual real-life boxing at the time to be able to do a good job of presenting boxing as a thing. Now, that's important. Because it's easy to write what you know and then change one thing, it is much harder to write what you know, change one thing, and then make it fit. <sighs> um, He's got this crap apartment. He just wants to date this girl down the way. He's got his one friend who's kind of a dick, and he's got this other friend who's actually weirdly supportive, and he's got this guy who won't even lend him a frickin' locker, for God's sakes. There's just all kinds of issues, right? Just remember all that, would you? So. (laughs) I looked up some figures. About four, excuse me, nine to ten years prior to this film coming out, uh, an apartment in that area, would in, in Philadelphia specifically, would probably cost about $100 a month. First of all, God, that's weird to think about. I pay nine times that for what I got, just to give you a bit of a perspective. Granted, slightly larger. Got a few amenities. I've got air conditioning, so that's nice. But yeah, no, it's just, just funny to think about. But I also, you know, he's got the wrapped mattress. Um... There's the, he's got the little pets that he likes to talk to. It's a, it's a good trick. Um, one of the things to make your characters look sympathetic is to show that they are uh, nice and kind and beloved in turn by animals. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, such a common trick. You've probably seen it as one of the more common facets of a Disney princess is that they're good with animals to some extent or another, all or some, or just an individual, you know, one sidekick kind of a thing. Uh, like the grasshopper in Mulan, to use an example or everything in the forest in Snow White but he's also that's actually Stallone's dog uh, the dog that he meets at the shop that's why the dog responds so positively to him because it's not like they could afford anything I really want to stress how shoestring the budget was on this film how shoestring this is a gorilla film if you don't really know what that means it means they didn't actually go through the proper channels to do what they were doing legally now It's not like they were being horrific criminals or anything like that. It's just there are channels you go through in order to have permits and rights and you notify people, hey, I'm filming in this area. And there are good reasons for those to exist. There are. They didn't do that for several cases. A perfect example of this is there's a scene where there's a van shot following Rocky and Rocky's, you know, jogging after the van. And you just see people looking at it like, what the heck? And of course they are. There's a... Guy jogging right behind a van that's filming him. Says, what the heck is that? Guy tosses him an orange. Completely unscripted. That was just a thing. They, they cut corners everywhere and actually did a really smart job of it. I don't know who was in charge of actually producing this film. Well, let me walk that back. I know who gets producer credit. What I don't know is who was actually in charge of making this somehow work. Because whoever it was, or maybe it was a team was someone who had a lot of experience in filmmaking, sufficient to be able to cut corners where they needed to be cut. You notice that there's very, very few sets. You'll also notice that most of those sets are very small sets. You'll also notice that most of the outdoors footage is of areas that they just would go out to film, so in other words, an uncontrolled environment, most of which didn't even have dialogue put over it. You want to know how bad this was? when they have the final fight at the end, they only had 50-ish people in the audience because that's all they could get. That's all they could afford. It's supposed to be crammed with hundreds, but some very careful camera work manages to hide that. I do know at least part of the credit goes to Garrett Brown himself, who was obviously a really good cameraman. He invented the frickin' Steadicams. Obviously, he knew something of what he was doing on that part. Anywho, there's his dog. His dog, of course. He collects, he collects for the loan shark. Well, there's this bit I love where the guy's like, why didn't you break his thumb? And he's like, I, I don't know. It just makes sense to me that if you break his thumb, he, he will get fired. And if he gets fired, he won't be able to bring the money in. The guy says, well, he doesn't say this. But what he says, what he means is, it's not about the money. It's about maintaining the rep. If I come across as kind, then people are going to misuse or abuse me. So you need to break his thumb so people know that people can't st- stiff me on the loans I give them. That's. Whew. And I just want you to remember that for later. There's also a couple of little small tidbits which are very smart. One of my personal favorites is Stallone goes to the locker and he tries to do the thing on it, frowns a bit, pulls out his hat, pulls out the number, I was like, okay, and tries it again. Now, the locker has been changed. The lock, excuse me, has been changed because it's someone else's lock now, but. Um, that very quickly and efficiently demonstrates that he has memory issues. They do this earlier as well, where he's writing down. he's got a notepad to write down the people he's got to collect money from. Oh, and this whole time, Polly really wants to get in on the collecting business for a loan shark, which isn't quite legal. This is probably a good time to mention. It's not quite into organized crime, and it's not quite just, you know, debt collection agency. It's sort of in the middle there. Anyways, but Paulie wants in because, well, it pays, doesn't it? Yeah. There's this nice bit at the beginning where he gets 40 bucks for the win in the fight, and he's really pleased by that, and everyone just calls him a bum. Just remember that, too. He, uh... So, (laughs) there's this bit where Creed... We finally get introduced to Creed. And Creed's like, alright, let's set up the fight, we need to do it with a local, and he's thinking publicity, he's thinking stuntsman, he's thinking show, he's thinking how can we set this up to make this as big of a show as possible, because of course he is. One of the things the film does that's really good, though, is that Creed is a good fighter. It's not that he isn't. He is a good fighter, he does train well, he keeps himself in shape. There's a reason he's the champ. It's just at his point where he's at in his career, he's more concerned about the financial and business side of things than he is about the fight. Of course he is. He's already on the top. That actually does make sense. It would be very easy for this to drift into eh, territory if he was pathetic and Rocky crushed him. But that would be awful and, I might add, completely contradictory to the point of the film. Which, I, I mean, you know the point. The point is that winning wasn't the point. The point is that he wasn't playing to win. See Knives Out earlier in this film for another example of this. Rocky was po- was was playing to prove that he could stand it. To prove that he could go the distance. You know, the old quote. To prove that he wasn't just a bum. Creed, well, Creed did win that match. And he earned, he'd earned it. He deserved it. He was playing with him at first because he was giving a show. But when it got down to it, he was more than capable of pushing out. It's just, you know, he was also taking it just as badly. Actually, in all honesty, what, what we see, even though we only see bits and pieces of it, is actually a pretty good fight. So, Except for the bit where he has to cut his eyelid. But, I mean, that's just how that works at a certain point, isn't it? That's why you got to be really careful. Because there's an eyeball underneath there, and you don't want to hit that. Anywho. <clears throat> oh, yeah, by the way, Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn. Is the random guy in the corner who's part of Creed's posse, who has no lines. He's just there in a suit. God, he looks so young. Anyways, Polly really wants to get into this. I I was thinking about this and Polly's desire to become a collector. I've actually talked about this concept before in a lot of fiction, the idea of bandits. Hear me out. Because there's two types of bandits. Actually, there's like 30 types of bandits. But let's ignore the other 28 for a second. Two types of bandits that are left. One of them is the type of bandit who's evil and terrible. They don't matter for this conversation. The other type of bandit is someone who's unemployed. You know how hard it is to get a good paying job? Well, I mean, I do. (laughs) Oh, God. I can tell you stories about unemployment. I remember those fears. I have never forgotten that unique sensation of terror and dread at not being sure if you can get a job and being desperate to get any job. I'm sure several of you know that feeling, too. So Polly, I mean, he works at the meat plant, but he wants to to move up. He wants to do something else. And, well, what's something that's relatively low barrier to entry when it comes to employment? Joining a bandit group or becoming a collector. Because all he's got to do is go and you know, rough people up and get money from them. That's it. Nothing big, you know. Uh, this, uh... not a great person. What's interesting, though, is I do think he cares. He's He's just not a good person. You know, it's which is good, which is good. It, it adds some depth to the character. There's a bit where he basically is insisting that Adrian go out on a date on Thanksgiving with, with uh, Rocky. I keep wanting to say Stallone. With Rocky. Now, both uh, actors involved here, and I, oh, God, please tell me I wrote down her name. God, I can never read my own hat or anything. Hang on. The actress who plays Adrian who is Talia Shire. There's not even an I in there, Lore. Talia. I was going to say Tala, and I looked at that as like, I know that's not right. I've seen The Godfather. Anyways, <clears throat> Talia Shire and Stallone have both mentioned that they really love the kissing scene. Which is funny, because I absolutely hate it, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. My point is, both of them agree that there's this big love story between the two, which is funny, given the mere total lack of chemistry between the two of this film. However, hear me out for a second. I like the way Stallone puts it. Excuse me, I like the way Rocky puts it. Gaps. You know, I got gaps, she got gaps, we fill each other's gaps. And no, it's not a sex thing. It's more like a Tetris thing. No, it's not a sex thing. Stop it. The point is... The point is they fit each other. And I like that idea a lot, actually. There's this bit where... Polly's like, go on the date. I already mentioned that. And Polly gets really over. He throws a turkey out the window, which is astonishingly wasteful for how little money they have, but let's move past that for the moment. She flips out and goes to the room, and then Rocky just really, really, really awkwardly and embarrassingly asks to go out, and then they go out and they go to the ice rink, and there was supposed to be a lot of people there. There wasn't, so the scene had to be rewritten literally on the spot. Again, kind of working with what they got. Great adaptability overall in this film, really. But I want to share a personal story, if that's okay with you guys. Shortly, around when I had the most recent surgery, the second surgery, the kidney stone one, I was not doing great. I was also, um, in my own way, suffering a complete emotional and mental breakdown. I was not doing hot, mentally, internally. So, I was up there folding laundry because I, I was in charge of laundry. That was my job because uh, I lived with my sis at the time. And she was trying to get me to just take care of myself. I was in a lot of pain, and she told me I needed to stop being on my feet and stop doing the chores. And, you know, because I just had surgery. And I was just lock stepping in because I couldn't deal with it. And she picked up the laundry pin and threw it down the stairs. Now, she was livid at the time. She was actually quite angry at me. Got my attention, though. And the reason she was upset was specifically because she was concerned about me. You probably see why I'm relating this with regards to the Thanksgiving scene now. Because that's the catch. You you can judge this how you want, and obviously we have the rest of the Rockies to help judge this, but I think Paulie does, at the very least, give a damn. He does actually care. So he tosses the turkey out and she goes on the date. Okay. Then she keeps pushing during the date. Why do you fight? And he doesn't answer. Well, why do you fight? And he doesn't answer. Well, why do you fight? And he doesn't answer. It's not the best script writing I've ever seen, but it is very clear especially based on the performance that he just really does not want to talk about the specifics of why he does not wish to fight, which we do learn later. I'll get to that in a minute. But I also want to mention one other thing here. You ever uh you ever get nervous with a date? <laughs> you ever breathe air? <laughs> oh man. See, I'd like to say it was worse for me. I've never asked a woman out in my life. I've actually said that several times. I have been asked out. I, I could sit down and figure out how many times. Don't make me. it's It's not a small number, but it's also not a huge number. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, to further give evidence for my point, that it was always nerve-wracking because I barely knew this person who decided to ask me out because they're the one who asked me out. And so we're out going to the movies or going to dinner or whatever. I'm just sitting there going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, the whole time, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That nervousness. And in his case, what he does is he just babbles and babbles and babbles and babbles. And I was suddenly reminded of Laguna, of all reasons, of all characters. But he's just babble, babble. He's talking about fighting because, of course, he is. It's his hobby. It's his passion. It's something he's really into. He's been fighting for years at this point. And, of course, he will continue fighting after this. And then he'll start training other people, too. Creed. I mentioned that earlier. So he's just, it, right? You get, you get comfortable, and then you just start babbling because you, you're gushing. Because it's something you're really interested in. Now he kinda talks completely over her. That kinda sucks. But at the same time the film makes it clear that the reason why is because well, she's shy. She's just kinda like, okay, I'm cool with it. You know. She's not she's not ignoring him, and it's not like she is uninvolved in the conversation. She's just not saying much, especially compared to him. Then he invites her in. This is part, part of why this irritates me, and I, I was actually thinking about it afterward, it's just too quick. If gender you're interested in invites you in after a date, a first date, the generally accepted answer to that is no. Now I was hoping, you know, when I first saw this, he would invite her in and be a complete gentleman, because he actually has been the whole film. You notice that? Well, he is pursuing her, he's, and he's being a dumb idiot about it. no insult intended. Because he's not suave. He doesn't have a high charisma stat. He's just kind of bumbling around, right? While he is pursuing her, he has never to date pushed it too far. He says hi, he makes talk, he does a joke, talks about the animals, moves on. Then he repeats, kind of repeats and repeats until he can finally get up the nerve to ask her out. Which even that had to be prompted. This is when he pushes it too far, unfortunately, because he gets really pushy takes off his shirt, as of course he does, and offers for her to sit next to him on the couch, and then goes over to her, and then asks her not to leave, and then asks her to take off the glasses, and then asks her to take off the hat, and this whole time she is projecting an aura of immense discomfort. Pro tip, if your person you're interested in is really uncomfortable with whatever you're doing, you should probably consider stopping. That, that's why the kissing scene bothers me. Because it's something that Hollywood likes to do a lot. It, 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 it portrays it as if you have to push past the barrier and then they accept you. No. <laughs> now I'm going to skip over that. Because I don't really have much else to say about it. This is when he gets the offer with Creed. Hey! You know, you want to go? do this exhibition match. Um, actually, I don't think they ever call it an exhibition match specifically, so I could be wrong about that. Exhibition matches don't count. It doesn't change the ratings and the rankings. That's that's the point there. Um, so I don't, I don't actually remember. I don't, I don't think they said it, but I've been mentally assuming it's an exhibition match because it's just for fun. Either way, <clears throat> he was pulled in just because of his name. Just because of his nickname, actually, the Italian Stallion. Excuse me, the Italian Stallion. And he is so humble. He turns down the offer because I'm I'm not in his class. I can't do that. Oh, he wants a sparring partner. Okay, I think I can do that. I'm I'm okay with that. He's so down-to-earth. Like a down-on-his-luck actor who's just desperate for anything he can manage. So, he gets the offer. We get to see how people react around him. Polly. Polly's interesting. Polly is basically like, gimme, gimme something, gimme something, gimme something. Finally, Polly snaps. And it's worth noting that the Polly snapping thing was built up to quite a bit. Polly gets, comes home, gets drunk, runs into a real drunk person on the street because of the, how, the way they're filming this, asks the drunk person for advice on how to move and talk in order to be more drunk, you know, and to act drunk better. Then continues the shot and goes in and starts acting drunk and starts smashing up the place. You'll notice that a couple of things. First of all, Rocky, every time, constantly, his instinct is to protect her, not to try and do anything else he could be doing in the circumstance. Second, when she leaves, well, actually, let me rewind. He gets all upset because he thinks he's owed something. Adrian then grabs him and rages in his face about how she has cooked and cleaned and taken care of him for the years she's been there and how she has been more than lifting her weight this entire time. She's right. It's a good scene in its own right. It's kind of horrible, but it is still a good scene. And it especially is is terrifying because the next thing that happens after she leaves is Rocky picks him up, doesn't say anything. He just holds him there for several seconds and then finally manages to unclench his hands and let him go. He could have killed him right there. One solid punch, the kind of poundage or whatever the proper terminology is that he could push through. Yeah, no, he, he could have cracked the guy's skull. So she moves in with Rocky now. Cute. Gazzo, by the way, you remember him? The Lone Shark? He's just supportive. He's actually a legitimately supportive guy, which is really weird from someone who's basically a criminal. It's so strange. I kept waiting for the twist on that one when I first saw this. Because like, you expect it right here, have 50 bucks for your date, or here, have 500 for your training. No. No, he he's just he's just helping Rocky out because he's helping him out. I know in the future there's this whole thing about him being Italian and that actually comes a thing, but in this film he's just legit. It's weird, but it does get across the impression that the whole reason he picked up Rocky is because he thought Rocky was a nice dude who he could use in his businesses, so he offered him a job. Rocky got lucky, huh? <laughs> so we have our big montage. The orange, I mentioned that earlier. And some good stuff. Burgess Meredith, I mentioned him. Mickey. There's actually a really good character piece. Uh, it's, bo- it's actually two characters piece. First, we have Mickey come in and basically soliloquy, effectively. He just talks about his past and his history. And finally, he's like, I want to train you. I want to train you. I want to train you. And the whole time, I'm thinking, you're just trying to grab onto his coattails. And he is, but not financially. He, he is doing this because he wants his last stab at mattering, at making a difference, at getting all that knowledge out to somewhere where it can actually count. Rocky goes off on a rant. And this right here, this is the crux of the whole film. Really? I know, the whole going the distance thing and being able to do, endure the 15 rounds, that's great and all. But no, the actual crux of the film is Sylvester Stallone ranting about how much crap he's already gone through. About how he's worked hard, and how he's tried, and how he's put in his thing, and it has just not come together. He does eventually go out and ask Mickey to to work with him. Good shot, by the way. No dialogue necessary. Just he runs out, asks him to stop, pulls him over, you know. We see them kind of looking like they're talking to each other. Good stuff. Good cinematography. Really. Right before the fight... (laughs) He sits down in his bed and then he lays down and he talks with Adrian about how it doesn't, I was nobody before. Just another bum. I was just another bum from the neighborhood and I wanted to prove that I'm not just another bum. You know? This is the emotional heart of this film, right here feeling like you're nobody, feeling like you're irrelevant, and nothing you do ever has and ever will matter. And how if someone randomly picked you out of a crowd, they wouldn't even notice you. You wouldn't even register. They would forget about you inside of a day. Because that's how irrelevant you feel. And um, this is why I think this is a good film. Oh, it lucked out. Good cinematography. Good production. Good good cost-cutting. Got lucky like four or five or six times. Got some good actors involved. The reason this film is so damn good, though, in my opinion, is because this is Sylvester Stallone doing a biography, basically. Just talking about what it's like to be that nobody. Just like he was at that point in his life. Just like I am. And I imagine a lot of you know what that feels like, too. It's the underdog concept. And why is the underdog so appealing? Because we're the underdogs. We are rooting for ourselves. At 15 minutes left in the movie... They finally meet. Creed and, and Rocky finally meet, and the fight starts. <laughs> big thing, you know. Local guy saying hi. Big dude with the big expensive thing. How much do you think his, his outfit costs, you know? Uh, we get to see Joe Fraser. That was actually awesome. They apparently just did an all-call for whoever wanted to show up. And the Sandman showed up. That's awesome. Everyone could show up Joe Frazier. That That's a great pick. Um, they start doing the fight. And the fight, like, I'd love to dissect the fight, but truthfully, I'm not sure it would be any good for you. It would just be me recounting it effectively. There's good stuff there. It's obvious that both have strengths, and it's obvious that both also can exploit each other's strengths. They're actually on pretty even footing overall. They really are. And that's kind of cool. Apollo wins the fight because he should. Because once he started taking it seriously, which he didn't at first... If he had taken it seriously from the word go, he probably would have won within one round. Legit. But he didn't. He was playing around, and he got knocked, and he played around a little bit more, and he got knocked again. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll have to try. But by that point, he'd already fallen behind a little bit, and that evened things out a little. And, of course, uh, Rocky was strong and fast with his punches... And he's a southpaw, which upsets the tempo. Makes everything awkward and all that. Although uh, Rocky's actual story of the southpaw thing is a little bit inaccurate from what I understand. But let's not let's get into that. They don't show the whole fight as they shouldn't. But then the fight ends. And all he wants to see is Adrian. Because <laughs> he did it. Right? I mean, yeah, okay, love story and that's heartwarming and all that fun stuff. But you know what's really heartwarming is that he wasn't a bump that he wasn't nobody, that he proved, demonstrably proved, that he was able to do it, to make it, to last it, to be in the big big pool and swim with the sharks. And he did it. That's his victory. This is something Stallone was absolutely adamant about. There were actual arguments between him and the director and, and just the, the the creative staff in general about this. One of the original cuts, uh, was, excuse me, one of the original intended cuts was to make it far more ambiguous as to who actually won the fight. And Stallone was adamant, no, no, it has to be Creed. Creed wins the fight because Rocky's playing for a different game. He's not trying to beat Creed. He'll do that in the second film. No, he's just, he's hes going for something else. and And I like that a lot. I like what they do with it and I like where they go with it. If it's not obvious, I really do think this is a damned good film. Low budget, low special effects, lot of heart, lot of real pushed into this film. And it got lucky. I Maybe mean, we all be so lucky. Choo-choo.